CD5 Ankh-Morpork was full of men living in lodgings. Anyone with a spare room rented it out. And, in addition to the darning and stitching that was turning Miss Batty into one of the highest-earning seamstresses in the city, they needed something else that women were best able to supply. They needed feeding. There were plenty of hot-chair eating places like the one Vimes headed for now. It sold plain food for plain men. There wasn't a menu. You ate what was put in front of you. You ate it quick, and you were glad to get it. If you didn't like it, there were plenty who did. The dishes had names like slum gullet, boiled eels, lobscouse, wet nellies, slumpy and treacle-billy. Good, solid stuff that stuck to the ribs and made it hard to get up out of the seat. They generally had a lot of turnip in, even if they weren't supposed to. Vimes elbowed his way to the counter, dragging Nobby behind him. A chalked sign said, All you can eat in ten minutes for ten p. Beneath it, a large woman was standing bare-armed by a cauldron in which uncertain things bubbled in grey scum. She gave him an appraising look and then glanced at his sleeve. "'What can I do for you, Sergeant?' she said. "'What happened to Sergeant Nook?' "'Comes in here a lot, does he?' said Vimes. "'Dinner and supper?' Her look said it all. Second helpings, too, and never pays. Vimes held up Nobby. "'Say this.' "'Is it a monkey?' said the woman. "'Ha, ha, very funny!' moaned Nobby as Vimes lowered him again. "'He's going to come in here for one square meal every day,' said Vimes. "'All he can eat for ten pence.' "'Yes, and who's paying, may I ask?' "'Me.' Vimes plonked a half-dollar on the table. "'That's five days in advance. "'What's the special today? Slum gullet? "'It'll put airs in his chest when he has his chest. "'Give him a big bowl. "'You might make a loss on this deal.' "'He shoved Nobby onto a bench.' placed the greasy bowl in front of him and sat down opposite. "'You said a lady,' he said. "'Don't mess me about, Nobby.' "'Have I got to share this, Sarge?' said Nobby, picking up a wooden spoon. "'It's all yours. Make sure you eat up every bit. "'There may be a test later,' said Vimes. "'A woman, you said.' "'Lady Meserol, Sarge,' said Nobby indistinctly, through a mouthful of mixed vegetables and grease. "'Posh lady. Everyone calls her madam. Come from Genoa a few months ago.' "'When did she ask you?' "'This morning, Sarge.' "'What?' "'She just stopped you in the street?' "'Er, uh, I've got a kind of general contract with her, Sarge.' Vimes glared. It was better than speaking. Nobby wriggled uneasily. "'Fact is, Sarge, she, er, uh, caught me snickering her lolly last month. "'Hell's bell, Sarge. She's got a punch on her like a mule. "'When I come round, we got to talking, "'and she said a keen young lad like me could be useful as, as like, an eared on the street.' Vimes continued to glare, but he was impressed. Young Nobby had been a gifted pickpocket. Anyone who caught him in the act was quick indeed. He turned up the ferocity of the glare. All right, Sarge. She said she'd turn me over to the day watch if I didn't, Nobby confessed. And you go straight to the tanty if a knob lays a complaint against you. That's bloody true, thought Vimes. Private law again. I don't want to go to the tanty, Sarge. Sconner's in there. And he used to break your arms, Vimes remembered. "'So why's a fine lady interested in me, Nobby?' he said aloud. "'Didn't ask. I told her about you and the hurry-up wagon and the unmentionables and everything. "'She said you sounded fascinating, and Rosie Palms pay me a measly penny a day to keep an eye on you too. "'Oh, and Corporal Snubs at Cable Street, he's paying me one half-penny to watch you. "'But what's half-penny these days?' says I, so I don't watch you much on his account. "'Oh, and Lance Corporal Coates, I'm getting a penny from him too.' "'Why?' "'Don't know.' He asked me this morning, too. A penny job. Nobby belched hugely. Better out than in, eh? 
Who do you want me to watch for you, Sarge? Me, said Vimes. If you can fit me into your busy schedule. You want me to follow you? No, just tell me what people are saying about me. Keep an eye on who else is following me. Watch my back sort of thing. Right. Good. Just one more thing, Nobby. Yes, Sarge, said Nobby, still spooning. Give me back my notebook, my handkerchief, and the four pennies you whizzed from my pockets, will you? Nobby opened his mouth to protest, dribbling slum gullet, but closed it when he saw the glint in Vimes's eye. Silently, he produced the items from the various horrible pockets. Well done, said Vimes, getting up. I'm sure I don't have to tell you what'll happen to you if you try the old dippity doodar on me again, do I, Nobby? No, Sarge, said Nobby, looking down. Want another bowl? Have fun. I've got to go to work. You can rely on me, Sarge. Oddly enough, thought Vimes as he walked back to the watch house, I probably can. Nobby would nick anything and dodge anything, but he wasn't bad. You could trust him with your life, although you'd be daft to trust him with a dollar. He purchased a packet of pantweed slim panatellas from another street trader. Carrying them around in their cardboard packet didn't feel right at all. There was a buzz in the main office as he strolled in. Watchmen were standing around in little groups. Sergeant Knox spotted Vimes and trotted over. Bit of a do, sir. Had a break in last night, he reported, with just a hint of a smirk. Really? said Vimes. What did they steal? Did I say they stole anything, sir? said the sergeant innocently. Well, no, you didn't, said Vimes. That was me jumping to what we call a conclusion. Did they steal anything then, or did they break in to deliver a box of chocolates and a small complimentary basket of fruit? They stole the Captain's silver inkstand, said Nock, impervious to sarcasm. And it was an inside job, if you want my opinion. The door upstairs was forced, but the main doors weren't. Must have been a couple what done it. Vimes was amazed at the forensic expertise shown here. My word, a copper stealing, he said. Yeah, it's a terrible thing, said Nock earnestly, especially since you showed us the way yesterday about being honest and everything. He glanced past Vimes and shouted, Tension, officer present. Tilden was coming down the stairs. The room fell silent except for his hesitant steps. Uh, no luck, sergeant, he said. Not so far, sir said Nock. I was just telling Sergeant Keel here what a terrible thing has happened. It was engraved, you know, said Tilden mournfully. Everyone in the regiment chipped in what they could afford. This is really very upsetting. A man would have to be a right bastard to steal something like that, eh, Sergeant? said Nock. Absolutely, said Vimes. I see you're pretty well organised on this one, Sergeant. Have you looked everywhere? Everywhere except the lockers, said Nock. That's not something we'd do lightly, rummaging through a man's locker. But we're all here now, and Captain Tilden's here to see fair play, so although it's very distasteful, I'll ask you, Captain, for permission to rummage. Yes, yes, if you must, said Tilden. I don't like the idea. It is really quite dishonourable, you know. Then I think, sir, to show that we're doing this fairly, said Nock, us sergeants ought to be searched first. That way, no one can say we don't take it seriously. Come now, Sergeant, said Tilden with a little smile. I hardly think you're suspected. No, sir, fair's fair, said Nock. We'll set a good example, eh, Sergeant Keel? Vimes shrugged. Nock grinned at him, pulled out a bundle of keys and beckoned to Lance Corporal Coates. You do the honours, Ned, he said, beaming. Me first, of course. The door was unlocked. 
The contents of Knox's locker were the usual unsavoury mess of lockers everywhere, but there was certainly no silver inkstand. If there were, it would have turned black after a single day. Well done. Now, Sergeant Keels, please, Ned. Knox's friendly beam fixed on Vimes as the policeman fumbled with the lock. Vimes stared back, face blank as a slate, as the door creaked open. Oh, dear, what have we here? said Knock, without even bothering to look. It's a sack, Sarge, said Coates. Something heavy in it, too. Oh, dear me, said Knock, still staring at Vimes. Open it up, lad, gently. We don't want anything to get damaged, eh? There was a rustle of hessian, and then... Eh, uh, it's half a brick, Ned reported. What? Half brick, sir. I'm saving up for a house, said Vimes. There were one or two sniggers from the assembled men, but some of the faster thinkers were suddenly looking worried. They know, thought Vimes. Well, lads, welcome to Vimes's roulette. You spun the wheel, and now you've got to guess where the ball is going to go. Are you sure? said Nock, turning to the open locker. It's just a sack, Sarge, said Ned, and half brick. Is there a loose panel or something? said Nock desperately. What? In a sack, Sarge? Well, that seems to be our lockers, said Vimes, rubbing his hands together. Who's next, Sergeant Nock? Round and round a little ball goes, and where it stops, nobody knows. You know, personally, I think the captain's right. I don't think any of the men would... Nock began and faltered. Vimes's stare could have hammered rivets. I believe, Sergeant, that since we have begun this, it should be concluded, said Tilden. That's only fair. Vimes took a couple of steps towards Coates and held out his hand. Keys, he said. Coates glared at him. The keys, Lance Corporal, said Vimes. He snatched them from Coates's hand and turned to the line of lockers. Right, he said, let's start with the well-known arch-criminal, Lance Constable Vimes. Door after door was opened. The lockers, while possibly of interest to anyone studying the smells of unwashed clothing and the things that could grow on neglected socks, failed to produce a single silver inkstand. It did turn up the amorous adventures of Molly Clapper in Corporal Colon's locker, however. Vimes stared at the crude and grubby engravings like a long-lost friend. He remembered that book. It had gone round the watch-house for years, and as a young man he learned a lot from some of those illustrations, although a good deal of what he'd learned had turned out to be wrong. Fortunately, Captain Tilden's view was blocked, and Vimes shoved the greasy book back on the shelf and said to the red-eared Colon, "'Studying theory, eh, Fred?' Good man. Practice makes perfect. Then he turned at last to Coates's locker. The man was watching him like a hawk. The scratched door creaked open. Every neck craned to see. There was a stack of old notebooks, some civilian clothing, and a small sack of what, when it was tipped out on the floor, turned out to be laundry. Surprised, said the Lance Corporal. Not half as much as you, Vimes thought. He winked at Coates and turned away. "'Can I have a word with you in your office, Captain?' Uh, "'Yes, Sergeant, I suppose so,' said Tilden, looking round. "'Oh, dear.' Vimes gave the man some time to climb the stairs, then followed him up to his office and tactfully closed the door. "'Well, Sergeant,' said Tilden, collapsing into his chair. "'Have you looked everywhere, sir?' said Vimes. "'Of course, man. I mean, sir, perhaps you put it in a desk drawer. Or the safe, perhaps.' "'Certainly not. I sometimes put it in the safe at weekends, but I'm... "'Sure, I didn't do that last night.' Vimes noted the subtle uncertainty. "'He was doing a bad thing, he knew. 
Tilden was nearly seventy. At a time like that, a man learned to treat his memory as only a rough guide to events. "'I find, sir, that when a busy man has got a lot on his plate, he can do things that subsequently slip his mind,' he said. "'I know I do,' he added to himself. "'I could put my house keys down in a bare room and not find them thirty seconds later.' "'We've all been under a lot of pressure lately,' he added, knowing that Tilden frequently fell asleep during the afternoon until Snouty coughed very loudly outside his door before taking in his cocoa. "'Well, that's true,' said Tilden, turning desperate eyes to him. "'All this curfew business, very unsettling. "'Forget my own head if it wasn't nailed on, what?' "'He turned and looked at the green safe. "'Only had it a couple of months,' he muttered. "'I suppose I... look the other way, will you, Sergeant? "'May as well sort this out.' Vimes obligingly turned his back. "'There was some clicking and a creak, and then an intake of breath. "'Tilden got to his feet, holding the silver inkstand.' "'I believe I've made a fool of myself, Sergeant,' he said. "'No, I've made a fool of you,' thought Vimes, "'fervently wishing he hadn't. "'I'd intended to drop it into Coates's locker, but I couldn't. "'Not after what I found in there.' "'Tell you what, sir,' he volunteered. "'We could say it was a kind of test.' "'I don't tell lies as a rule, Keel,' said the captain, but added, "'I appreciate the suggestion, nevertheless. "'Anyway, I know I'm not as young as I was.' "'Perhaps it's time to retire,' he sighed. "'I have to say I've been considering it for some time.' "'Oh, don't talk like that, sir,' said Vimes, far more jovially than he felt. "'I can't see you retiring.' "'Yes. I suppose I should see things through,' Tilden mumbled, walking back to his desk. "'Do you know, Sergeant, that some of the men think you're a spy?' "'Oh, for,' said Vimes, reflecting that Snouty delivered more than Coco. "'A Lord Winder, I assume,' said Tilden. "'Well, we all work for him, sir, but I don't report to anyone but you if that's any help.' Tilden looked up at him and shook his head sadly. "'Spy or not, Keel, I don't mind telling you that some of the orders we've been getting lately have not been thought out properly, in my opinion. What?' He gave Vimes a glare, as if defying him to produce the red-hot thumbscrews there and then. Vimes could see how much the admission that abduction and torture and conspiracy to criminalise honest citizens might not be acceptable government policy was costing the old man. Tilden hadn't been brought up to think like that. He'd ridden off under the flag of Ankh-Morpork to fight the cheese-eaters of Querm or Johnny Clatchian or whatever enemies had been selected by those higher up the chain of command with never a second thought about the rightness of the cause, because that sort of thinking could slow a soldier down. Tilden had grown up knowing that people at the top were right. That was why they were at the top. He didn't have the mental vocabulary to think like a traitor, because only traitors thought like that. "'I haven't been here long enough to comment, sir,' said Vimes. "'Don't know how you do things here.' "'Not like we used to,' mumbled Tilden. "'Just as you say, sir. "'Snouty says you know your way around remarkably well, Sergeant, for someone new to the city.' That was a sentence with a hook in the end, but Tilden was an inexperienced angler. "'One nick is pretty much like any other, sir,' said Vimes. "'And, of course, I've visited the city before.' "'Of course, oh, of course,' said Tilden hurriedly. "'Well, thank you, Sergeant. Uh, "'If you could uh, explain things to me, I'd be grateful.' "'Yes, sir, of course.' Vimes shut the door carefully behind him and went down the steps two at a time. The squad below had barely moved. He clapped his hands like a schoolteacher. "'Come on, come on, you've got patrols to go to. Get moving. Not you, Sergeant Knocker. Word in the yard, please.' Vimes didn't bother to wait to see if the man would follow him. He went out in the late afternoon sunshine, leaned against the wall and waited. Ten years ago he'd have 
Correction. Ten years ago, if he was sober, he'd have taught Knock a few lessons about who's boss with several well-aimed punches. And that was certainly the custom these days. Scraps between watchmen hadn't been uncommon when Vimes was a constable, but that wouldn't do for Sergeant Keel. Knock stepped out, inflated with mad, terrified bravado. When Vimes raised his hand, the man actually flinched. Cigar, said Vimes. Uh, I don't drink, said Vimes, but you can't be a good cigar. I, I, I don't smoke, mumbled Knock. Look, about, about the inkstand. Do you know, he'd gone and put it in that safe of his, said Vimes, smiling. He had. And then forgotten about it, said Vimes. Happens to us all, Winsborough. A man's mind starts to wander. He's never quite certain of what he's done. Vimes maintained the friendly grin. It was as good as raining blows. Besides, he'd given Knock his correct name. The man never used it in public for fear of the panic it might cause. Just thought I'd put your mind at rest about it, said Vimes. Sergeant Winsborough Knock shifted uneasily from one foot to the other. He wasn't certain whether he'd got away with something or had just ended up getting deeper into something else. "'Tell me more about Lance Corporal Coates,' said Vimes. Knock's face was, for a moment, an agony of calculation, and then he adopted his usual policy. "'When you think there's wolves on your trail, throw someone off the sleigh.' "'Ned, sir,' he said. "'Hard worker, of course, does his job, but a bit tricky between you and me.' "'How? And you don't have to call me Sir Winsper. Not out here. He reckons Jack's as good as his master, if you know what I mean. Reckons he's as good as anyone. Bit of a troublemaker in that respect. Barrack room lawyer? That sort of thing, yeah. Rebel sympathies? Knock turned his eyes up innocently. Could be, sir. Wouldn't like to see the lad in trouble, of course. You think I'm a spy for the unmentionables, thought Vimes, and you're throwing coats to me. The other day you were pushing him for promotion. You little worm. Worth keeping an eye on, then, he said aloud. Yes, sir. Interesting, said Vimes. Always a worrying word to the uncertain. It certainly worried Knock, and Vimes thought, My gods, perhaps Vetinari feels like this all the time. Some of us uh, go round to the broken drum after the shift's over, said Knock. It's open round the clock. I don't know if you... I don't drink, said Vimes. Oh, yeah, you said, said Knock. And now I'd better pick up young Sam and get out on patrol, said Vimes. Nice to have had this little talk with you, Winsborough. He strode past, taking care not to look back. Sam was still waiting in the main office, but was sucked into his wake as he swept past. I say, who's the skirt up there with old folly? The prefects looked up. On the raised platform at the end of the noisy hall, Dr Follett, master of assassins and ex-officio headmaster of the Guild School, was in animated conversation with, indeed, a lady. The vivid purple of her dress made a splash of colour in the vast room, where black predominated, and the elegant whiteness of his hair shone like a beacon in the darkness. It was a Guild of Assassins, after all. Black was what you wore. The night was black and so were you, and black had such style, and an assassin without style, everyone agreed, was just a highly paid, arrogant thug. The prefects were all over eighteen and therefore allowed to visit parts of the city that the younger boys weren't even supposed to know about. Their pimples no longer erupted at the sight of a woman. Now their eyes narrowed. Most of them had already learned that the world was an oyster that could be opened with gold if a blade did not suffice. 
probably a parent, said one of them. I wonder who's the lucky boy. I know who she is, said Ludo Ludorum, head of Viper House. I heard some of the masters talking earlier. She's Madame Roberta Mesereau. Bought the old house in Easy Street. They say she made a pile of money in Genua and wants to settle down here. Looking for investment opportunities, apparently. Madam, said Downey, an honorific or a job description. In Genua, could be both, said someone to general laughter. Folly's certainly plying her with champagne, said Downey. They're on their third bottle. What have they got to talk about? Politics, said Ludo. Everyone knows Winder isn't going to do the decent thing, so it'll be down to us. And Folly's annoyed because we've lost three chaps up there already. Winder's pretty cunning. There's guards and soldiers everywhere you look. Winder's a skag, said Downey. Yes, Downey, you call everyone a skag, said Ludo calmly. Well, everyone is. Downey turned back to the table, and a movement, or rather a lack of movement, caught his eye. Towards the far end, one young assassin was sitting reading, with a bookstand positioned in front of his plate. He was intent on it, an empty fork halfway to his mouth. With a wink at the others, Downey selected an apple from the bowl in front of him, stealthily drew his arm back and let fly with malicious accuracy. The fork moved like a snake's tongue and skewered the apple out of the air. The reader turned a page. Then, eyes never leaving the print, he delicately brought the fork up to his mouth and took a bite out of the apple. The rest of the table looked back at Downey, and there were one or two chuckles. The young man's brow furrowed. Assault having failed, he was forced to try a scathing wit, which he did not have. "'You really are a skag, dog, botherer,' he said. "'Yes, Downey,' said the reader levelly, his eyes still intent on the page. "'When are you going to pass some decent exams, dog, botherer?' "'I really couldn't say, Downey.' "'Never killed anyone, right, dog, botherer?' "'Probably not, Downey.' The reader turned another page. That little sound infuriated Downey even more. "'What's that you're reading?' he snapped. "'Robertson, show me what the dog botherer is reading, will you? Come on, pass it up.' The boy next to the one currently known as Dog Botherer snatched the book off the stand and threw it along the length of the table. The reader sighed and sat back as Downey gave the pages a cursory flick. "'Well, look here, you fellows,' he said. "'Dog Botherer is reading a picture book.' He held it open. "'Colour it in yourself with your paints or crayons, did you, Dog Botherer?' The former reader stared up at the ceiling. "'No, Downey. It was hand-coloured to his instructions by Miss Amelia Jane, the sister of Lord Winstanley Greville Pipe, the author. It says so on the frontispiece you will note.' "'And here's a lovely picture of a tiger!' Downey ploughed on. Why are you looking at pictures, dog botherer? Because Lord Winstanley has some interesting theories on the art of concealment, Downey, said the reader. Ha! Huh? Black and orange tiger in green trees, said Downey, turning the pages roughly. Big red ape in green forest. Black and white zebra in yellow grass. What's this, a manual on how not to do it? Again there was a round of chuckles, but they were forced. Downey had friends because he was big and rich, but sometimes he was embarrassing to have a round. 
As a matter of fact, Lord Winstanley also has an interesting point to make on the dangers of intuitive... This is a guild book, Dog Bothra, Danny demanded. No, Danny, it was privately engraved some years ago, and I succeeded in tracing a copy in... Downey's hand shot out. The book whirled away, causing a table full of younger boys to scatter, and landed at the back of the fireplace. The diners on the top tables looked round, and then turned back in disinterest. Flames licked up. For a moment the tiger burned brightly. "'Rare book, was it?' said Downey, grinning. "'I think it may now be said to be non-existent,' said the one known as Dog Bothra. "'That was the only extant copy. Even the engraved plates had been melted down.' "'Don't you ever get upset, dog botherer?' "'Oh, yes, Downey,' said the reader. He pushed his chair back and stood up. "'And now, I believe, I will have an early night.' He nodded at the table. "'Good evening, Downey. Gentlemen. "'You're a skag, veterinary. "'Just as you say, Downey.' Vimes thought better when his feet were moving. The mere activity calmed him down and shook his thoughts into order. Apart from the curfew and manning the gates, the night watch didn't do a lot. This was partly because they were incompetent, and partly because no one expected them to be anything else. They walked the streets slowly, giving anyone dangerous enough time to saunter away or melt into the shadows, and then rang the bell to announce to a sleeping world, or at any rate to a world that had been asleep, the fact that all was, despite appearances, well. They also rounded up the quieter sort of drunk and the more docile kinds of stray cattle. They think I'm a spy for Winder, thought Vimes. Spying on the Treacle Mine Road watch. <laughs> it's like spying on Doe. Vimes had flatly refused to carry a bell. Young Sam had acquired a lighter one, but out of deference to Vimes's crisply expressed wishes, kept the clapper muffled with the duster. It's a wagon going out tonight, Sarge, said young Sam, as the twilight faded towards night. Yeah, Colon and Waddy are on it. Taking people to Cable Street? No said Vimes. I told them to take everyone to the watch house and snout you'll fine them half a dollar and take their name and address. Perhaps we'll have a raffle. We'll get into trouble, Sarge. The curfew's just to frighten people. It doesn't mean much. Our mum says there's going to be trouble soon, said Sam. She heard it in the fish shop. Everyone says it's going to be Snapcase at the palace. He listens to the people. Yeah, right, said Vimes. And I listen to the thunder, but I don't do anything about it. "'Our mum says everyone will have a voice in the city when Snapcase is the patrician,' Sam went on. "'Keep the voice down, kid. "'The day'll come when the angry masses will rise up and throw off their shekels,' the fishmonger says,' said Sam. "'If I was a spy for swing, that fishmonger would be gutted,' Vimes thought. "'Quite the revolutionary, our mum.' He wondered if it was at all possible to give this idiot some lessons in basic politics. "'That was always the dream, wasn't it? "'I wish I'd known then what I know now.' But when you got older, you found out that you now wasn't you then. You then was a twerp. You then was what you had to be to start out on the rocky road of becoming you now, and one of the rocky patches on that road was being a twerp. A much better dream, one that would ensure sound asleep, was not to know now what you didn't know then. "'What's your dad do?' he said, as if he didn't know. "'He passed away a long time ago, Sarge,' said Sam, "'when I was little.' "'Run down by a cart when he was crossing the street,' our mum said. "'What a champion liar she was, too.' "'Sorry to hear that,' said Vimes. "'Um, uh, our mum says you'd be welcome round to tea one night, "'what with you being all by yourself in a strange city, Sarge.' "'Would you like me to give you another tip, lad?' said Vimes. "'Yes, Sarge, I'm learning a lot.' 
Lance constables do not invite their sergeants round to tea. Don't ask me why. It's one of those things that does not happen. You don't know our mum, Sarge. Vimes coughed. Mums are mums, Lance Constable. They don't like to see men managing by themselves in case that sort of thing catches on. Besides, I know she's been up in small gods these past ten years. I'd rather put one hand flat on the table and give Swing the hammer than walk down Cockbill Street today. Well, said Sam, she says she's going to make you some distress pudding, Sarge. She makes great distress pudding, our mum. The best, thought Vimes, staring into the middle distance. Oh, God's the very best. No one has ever done it better. That'd be... very kind of her, he managed. Sarge, said Sam after a while, why are we patrolling Morfix Street? It's not our beats. I switched beats. I ought to see as much of the city as possible, said Vimes. Not a lot to see in Morfix Street tonight, Sarge. Vimes looked at the shadows. Oh, I don't know, he said. It's amazing what you see if you concentrate. He pulled Sam into a doorway. Just whisper, lad, he said. Now look down there at the house opposite. See that doorway with a deeper shadow? Yes, Sarge, whispered Sam. Why is it such a deep shadow, do you think? Dunno, Sarge. Cause someone in black is standing in it, that's why. So we're going to walk a little further, and then we'll just turn around and go back round the corner. We're heading back to the station like good boys, because our cocoa's getting cold, see? Right, Sarge. They ambled back around the corner, and Vimes let them walk sufficiently far up the street that the footsteps died away naturally. OK, this is far enough, he said. Give Sam his due, Vimes thought. He knew how to stand still. He'd have to teach him how to unfocus himself too so that you could very nearly fade out of sight on a cloudy day. Had Keel taught him that? After a certain age, memory was indeed an untrustworthy thing. The city's clocks chimed the three-quarter hour. What time's curfew? Vimes whispered. Nine o'clock, Sarge. Must be nearly that now, said Vimes. No, it's only just gone quarter to nine, Sarge. Well, it's going to take me a few minutes to get back. I want you to sneak back after me and wait at the corner. When it starts, you come running and banging that belly yours. When what starts, Sarge? Sarge? But Vimes was walking noiselessly down the road. He made a note to tip Snouty a dollar. These boots were like foot gloves. Torches spluttered on the junction, destroying the night vision of anyone who looked in that direction. Vimes padded around its dark penumbra and sidled along the buildings on the far wall until he was level with the door. Then he swung around the frame and shouted, "'You're nicked, chum!' said the shadow. "'And that's offensive language, sir, such as I would not wish my young Lance Constable to hear!' Behind him he heard Lance Constable Vimes advancing at a run, ringing his bell madly and shouting, "'Nine o'clock and all's not well at all!' And there were other sounds, too, the ones Vimes had been half-listening for, of doors slamming and distant footsteps hurrying away. "'You bloody fool!' said the struggling figure in black. "'What the hell are you playing at?' He pushed at Vimes, who nevertheless tightened his grip. "'That, sir, is assault upon a watch officer,' said Vimes. "'I'm a watch officer, too, you damn flatfoot, from Cable Street. "'Where's your uniform?' "'We don't wear uniforms. "'Where's your badge? "'And we don't carry badges.' "'Hard to see why I shouldn't think you is a common thief then, sir. "'You was casing that house over there,' said Vimes, "'happy in the role of big, thick, but horribly unshakable copper. "'We seen you. "'There was going to be a meeting of dangerous anarchists. "'What kind of religion is that, sir?' 
Vimes patted the man's belt. Oh dear, what have we here? A very nasty dagger. See this, Lance Constable Vimes? A weapon, no doubt about it. That's against the law. Carried after dark, which is even more against the law. And it's a concealed weapon. But what, what do you mean concealed? screamed the twisting prisoner. It was in a bloody sheath. Bloody, eh? Used it already, have you, sir? said Vimes. He thrust a hand into a pocket of the man's black coat. And what's this? A little black velvet roll with, I do believe, a complete set of lockpicks. That's going equipped for burglary, that is. They're not mine, and you know it, the man snarled. Are you sure, sir? said Vimes. Yes, because I keep mine in my inside pocket, you bastard. That's using language liable to cause a breach of the peace, said Vimes. But you idiots have scared everyone away. Who's going to be offended? Well, I might be. I'm sure you don't want that, sir. You're that stupid sergeant we've been told about, aren't you? growled the man. Too thick to see what's going on, right? Well, this is where you find out, mister. He twisted out of Vimes's grip, and there were a couple of sliding metallic noises in the gloom. Wrist knives, thought Vimes. Even assassins think they're an idiot's weapon. He took a couple of steps back as the man danced towards him, both knives waving. "'Can't think of a dumb answer to this one, a eh, brown job?' To his horror, Vimes saw behind the man the shape of Sam Vimes raising his bell very slowly. "'Don't hit him!' he shouted, and then lashed out with his boot as the man's head turned. "'If you're going to fight, fight,' he said as the man toppled forward. "'If you're going to talk, talk. Don't try to talk and fight. And right now I caution you to do neither.' "'I could have got him easily, Sarge,' Sam complained as Vimes fished out his handcuffs and knelt down. "'I could have blown him out like a light.' "'Head injuries can be fatal, Lance Constable. We serve the public trust.' "'But you kicked him in the private, Sarge.' "'Because I don't want you to be a target,' thought Vimes as he tightened the cuffs. "'That means you don't belt one of them over the head. "'You stay as the dim sidekick in the background. "'That way you survive, and that way maybe I do too.' "'You don't have to fight the way the other bloke wants you to fight,' he said, hefting the man onto his shoulders. "'Give me a hand here. Up we go. OK, I've got him. You lead the way.' "'Back to the watch-house,' said Sam. "'You're arresting and unmentionable.' "'Yeah. I just hope we'll meet some of the lads on the way. "'Let this be a lesson, lad. There aren't any rules. Not when there's knives out. "'You take him down, quietly if possible, without hurting him much if possible, but you take him down. "'He comes at you with a knife, you bring your stick down on his arm.' He comes at you with his hands, you use your knee or your boot or your helmet. Your job is to keep the peace. You make it peaceful as quickly as you can. Yes, sir. But there's going to be trouble, Sarge. Straightforward arrest. Even coppers have to obey the law, what there is of it. Yes, Sarge. But, I mean, there's going to be trouble right now, Sarge. They'd neared the end of the street, and there was a group of figures there. They looked like men with a purpose. There was something about the stance, the way they were standing in the road, and, of course, the occasional glint of light on a weapon also gave a hint. There was a snapping of little doors as dark lanterns were opened. Of course, he wouldn't have been alone, Vimes scolded himself. His job was just to watch until they'd all gone in, and then he'd just schlep away to call in the heavy gang. There must be a dozen of them. We're going to get cheesed. Like creamed, but it goes on for a lot longer. "'What'll we do, Sarge?' whispered Sam. "'Ring your bell.' "'But they spotted us!' "'Ring the damn bell, will you, and keep walking, and don't stop ringing.' 
The unmentionables spread out now, and as Vimes trudged towards them, he saw several figures at each end of the line slip around behind him. That's how it'd go. They'd be like the muggers up in Schoon Avenue, talking nice and friendly while their eyes said, "Hey, you know our mates are right behind you, and we know you know, and it's fun watching you trying to pretend that this is just a civilised conversation when you know that any minute you're going to get it right in the kidneys. We feel your pain, and we like it. He stopped walking. It was that, or walk into someone. And all along the street, doors and windows were opening as the clanging of the bell roused the neighbourhood. Evening, he said. Evening, your grace, said a voice out of history. Nice to see an old friend, eh? Vimes groaned. The worst that could happen had happened. Carser? That's Sergeant Carser, thank you. Funny how things work out, eh? Turns out I'm prime copper material. Ha, ha, ha. They gave me a new suit and a sword and twenty-five dollars a month, just like that. Lads, this is the man I told you about. Why do you call him your grace, Sarge? said one of the shadowy men. Carser's eyes never left Vimes's face. It's a joke. Where we come from, everyone used to call him Duke, he said. Vimes saw him slip a hand into a pocket. It came out holding something that had a brassy glint. It was a sort of nickname, eh, Duke? Stop the kid ringing the damn bell, will you? "'Knock it off, Lance Constable,' Vimes muttered. The noise had worked anyway. This little tableau had a silent audience now. Not that an audience would make any difference to Casa. He'd cheerfully stab you to death in the centre of a crowded arena and then look around and say, "'Who, me?' But the men behind him were edgy, like cockroaches wondering when the light was going to go on. "'Don't you worry, Duke,' Casa said, sliding his fingers into the brass knuckles. "'I've told the boys about you and me.' How we <laughs> go back a long way and all that. <laughs> yeah, said Vimes. It wasn't prize-winning repartee, but Carser obviously wanted to talk. And how did you get made a sergeant, Carser? I heard where they were looking for coppers with fresh ideas, said Carser. And that nice Captain Swing himself talked to me, and he said he was in no doubt I was an honest man who had been unlucky. Measured me up, he did, with his calipers and his rules and geometry. And he said it proved I was not a criminal type. It was all the fault of my environment, he said. What? You mean all those dead bodies everywhere you went, said Vimes. A nice one, Duke. <laughs> and you had fresh ideas, did you? Well, he liked one of them, said Carser, narrowing his eyes. Turned out he didn't know the ginger beer trick. The ginger beer trick. Well, that just about put the tin lid on it. Torturers down the ages hadn't found the ginger beer trick and Carser had handed it over to a patent maniac like Captain Swing. "'The ginger beer trick,' said Vimes. "'Well done, Carser. "'You're just what Swing's been looking for, the complete bastard.' Carser grinned as if he'd been awarded a small prize. "'Yeah, I already told him how you got a down on me for stealing a loaf of bread.' "'Come on, Carser,' said Vimes. "'That's not you. "'You never pinched a loaf of bread in your life.' "'Murdering the baker and stealing the bakery, that be your style.' "'He's a card, eh?' said Carser, winking at his men and nodding towards Vimes. Then in one movement he spun around and punched the man beside him in the stomach. "'You don't call me Sarge,' he hissed. "'It's Sergeant, understand?' On the floor the man groaned. "'I'll take that as a yes, then!' <laughs> said Carser, slipping the brass knuckles back into his pocket. "'Now, the thing is, Duke,' "'What you have here is one of my men, so how about you hand him over and we'll say no more about it?' "'What's happening, Sarge?' The voice was coming from some way behind Vimes. He turned. It was Wiglet and Scuts. They looked like men who'd been running but were now trying to affect a nonchalant swagger. 
It was getting less nonchalant and considerably less swaggery as they eyed up the unmentionables. The frantically ringing bell, that's what they'd always used. All the coppers who heard it would converge on it because an officer was in trouble. Of course, they wouldn't necessarily help him get out of trouble, not if the odds weren't right. This was the old night watch after all, but at least they could fish him out of the river or cut him down and see he got a decent burial. There was a rumble from further up the street, and the rattling bulk of the hurry-up turned the corner with Fred Colon at the reins and Constable Waddy hanging on behind. Vimes heard the shouts. "'What's up, you?' "'It's Keelan, Vimesy!' Wiglet called back. "'Hurry up!' Vimes tried to avoid Carser's eyes, tried to appear as if nothing had happened, tried to pretend that the world had not suddenly cracked open and let in the cold winds of infinity. But Carser was smart. He glanced at Vimes, looked at Sam. "'Vimesy,' he said. "'Your name's Sam Vimes, mister?' "'I ain't saying anything,' said Lance Constable Vimes stoutly. "'Well, well, 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 well,' said Carser happily. "'Now, here's a nice how you do, eh? "'Something for a chap to think about, and no mistake!' <laughs> there was a creak as the hurry-up wagon rolled to a stop. Carser glanced up at the round, pale face of Corporal Colon. "'You just go about your business, Corporal,' said Carser. "'You just leave... now.' Colon swallowed. Vimes could see his Adam's apple bob as it tried to hide. Uh, "'We heard the ringing,' he said. "'Just a bit of high spirits,' said Carser. "'Nothing that need worry you. "'We're all coppers here, right? "'I wouldn't like there to be any trouble. "'There's just been a bit of a misunderstanding, that's all. "'Sergeant Keel here was just going to hand over my friend there, right, Sergeant? "'No hard feelings, eh? "'He just happened to blunder into a little operation of ours.' Best not to talk about it, just you hand him over, and we'll call it quits. Every head turned to Vimes. The sensible thing would be to hand the man over. He knew it. And then, probably, Carser would go away, and he didn't want that man any closer to young Sam than he could help. But Carser would come back. Oh, yes. Things like Carser always came back, especially when they thought they'd found a weakness. That wasn't the worst part. The worst part was that he'd changed things. There had been the Morphic Street conspiracy. The unmentionables had raided it. A lot of people had died, but some had got away. And then there had been a few days of horrible confusion, and then it ended when... But Sam Vimes hadn't been anywhere near Morphic Street that night. Keel had been teaching him to shake hands with doorknobs over on the other side of the shades. But you wanted to be clever, Duke. You wanted to put a spoke in the wheel and smack a few heads, didn't you? And now Carser's in it as well, and you're out of the history books and travelling without a map. Carser was still grinning his cheerful grin. Here and now, more than anything else, Vimes wanted to see the end of that grin. Well, I'd like to oblige, Sarge, he said. I really would, but I've pinched him now, so I've got to take him back to my nick and do the paperwork. He might well be able to help us with our inquiries into a number of unsolved crimes. Such as, said Carser. Dunno, said Vimes. Depends on what we got. We'll take him down the cells, give him a cup of tea, chat to him about this and that. You know how it is. A man can get quite chatty after a cup of tea. Or carbonated beverage of his choice, of course. There was a snigger from among the members of the Night Watch, although Vimes hoped none of them knew what that last sentence meant. Carser's smile dissolved. I said, he's one of my men on official business, and I am a sergeant, he said. And I am sergeant at arms, and I said we'll hand him over to you at the nick, 
Sergeant Carser, officially. Carser nodded towards the Lance Constable, so imperceptibly that only Vimes saw it, and he lowered his voice. "'But suddenly I've got all the aces, Duke,' he said. "'But suddenly I'm not playing cards, Carser. "'Now, we could have a Barney right here and now, "'and, you know, I'm not sure which way it'd go, "'but I'm as sure as hell that you wouldn't be a sergeant tomorrow, "'and if you think you've got all the aces, "'you can afford to raise the stakes.' "'Carser stared at him for a moment. "'Then he winked and half turned away. "'I told you he's a caution, eh?' he said to the multitude. He gave Vimes a conspiratorial dig in the ribs. "'Always trying it on. OK, Sergeant. At arms. We'll do it your way. Got to give you brown jobs for me to do, eh? Ha, ha, ha. I'll send a couple of the lads down for him in an hour or so.' "'That's right. Give me time to sweat on whether I'll pop into non-existence if you cut the lad's throat,' Vimes thought. "'Trouble is, I am sweating.' He straightened up and beckoned to the hurry-up wagon. "'Me and my lads will all take him back,' he said. "'Time for our cocoa break, see?' "'Give me a hand up with him, Waddy. "'Got any other passengers, Fred?' "'Just a drunk, Sarge. "'Been spewing everywhere.' "'Okay. "'We'll put the prisoner in the back "'and we'll all hang on to the outside.' "'Vimes nodded at Carser. "'I'm sure we'll meet again soon, Sergeant.' "'Yeah,' said Carser. "'And there was that impish grin again. "'And you be sure to look after yourself, do you hear?' "'Vimes leapt onto the side of the wagon "'as it rattled past and didn't even look back. "'That was one thing about Carser.' At least, he wouldn't shoot you in the back if he thought there was a reasonable chance, pretty soon, of cutting your throat. After a while, Constable Wiglet, hanging on beside him as the wagon rocked, said, "'What happened back there, Sarge? You know that bloke?' "'Yeah, he killed two coppers. One that tried to arrest him, and one who was off duty and eating a pie. Killed other people too. But he's a copper.' Swing gave him a job, Wiglet. Suddenly the rattle of the wheels sounded much louder, all the other watchmen were listening very intently. "'You've been in the watch long, Constable,' said Vimes. Two years, Sarge,' said Wiglet. "'Used to be a fruit porter down the market. "'I got a bad back and a bad chest, what with all the cold mornings.' "'I never heard about coppers being killed,' said Lance Constable Vimes. "'It wasn't here, kid. It was a long way away.' "'You were there?' "'They were coppers I knew, yeah.' "'Again the mood on the carts changed.' There was no obvious sound from the watchman, but over the wagon hung the word, Aha. So you came here to track him down, said Wiglet. Something like that. We heard you came from Sudopolis, Sarge, said Sam. I've come from a lot of places. Wow, said Sam. He killed a copper who's eaten a pie, said Fred Colon from the box. Yep. The... What a bastard. What kind of pay was it? Witnesses didn't say, Vimes lied. This was old Ank Morpork. The dwarfs here now were a tiny minority who kept their heads down. Well, further down than usual. There certainly were no all-night rat pie shops. Wiglet had something on his mind. They're going to come for the bloke you picked up, he said. Want the rest of a night off, constable, said Vimes. There was some nervous laughter from the rest of the crew. Poor devils, thought Vimes. You joined up because the wages were good and there was no heavy lifting, and suddenly it's going to be difficult. "'What are you going to charge our man with, Sarge?' said Sam. "'Attempted assault on a copper. You saw the knives.' "'You did kick him, though.' "'Right, I forgot. We'll do him for resisting arrest, too.' There was some more laughter. "'We who think we are about to die will laugh at anything.' 
What a bunch. I know you well, gentlemen. You're in it for the quiet life and the pension. You don't hurry too much in case the danger is still around when you get there, and the most you ever expect to face was an obstreperous drunk or a particularly difficult cow. Most of you aren't even coppers, not in your head. In the sea of adventure, you're bottom feeders. And now it's war, and you're in the middle. Not on either side. You're the stupid little band of brown jobs. You're beneath contempt. But believe me, boys, you'll rise. For a minute or two after Morphic Street went quiet, nothing moved and nothing happened. Then a coach came around the corner. It was a particularly fine one, drawn by two horses. Its lamps were torches, and as the coach bounced on the cobbles, the zigzagging flames seemed to trail for a moment in the air and appeared to have a smoky quality. Insofar as they revealed anything, these suggested that the coach had been done up in purple livery. It also seemed to be rather heavy on its wheels. It pulled to a halt at the next doorway down from the one where Vimes had performed his arrest. Vimes, who thought he knew a lot about being a shadow, would have been surprised to see two dark figures step out of the doorway's darkness into the light of the torch. The coach door swung open. "'Strange news, kind lady,' said one of the shadows. "'Very strange news, dearie,' said the other shadow. They climbed up into the coach, which spread off. Vimes was impressed at the way the men reacted back at the watch-house, despite the lack of any command from him. Wiglet and Scuts jumped down as soon as the wagon was in the yard and dragged the gates across. Inside, Colon and Waddy pulled the shutters across the windows. Waddy went into the armoury and came out with an armful of crossbows. It was all done with speed and, for the men concerned, precision. Vimes nudged his younger self. "'Make the cocoa, will you, kid?' he said. "'I don't want to miss the show.' He sat down at his desk and put his feet up as Colon locked the door and Waddy pulled the bar across. "'This is happening,' he thought. "'But it didn't happen before.' Not exactly like this. This time the Morphic Street mob did a runner. They weren't ambushed in their meeting. There wasn't a fight. The sight of all those coppers must have scared them rigid. They weren't much anyway. Just sloganeers and skivers and me-tooists. The people who crowd behind the poor slob who's the spokesman shouting, Yeah, right! And leg it up an alley when the law gets rough. But some had died in the ambush. And some fought back. And one thing led, as always, to another. Except, this time... There was no ambush, because some thick sergeant made too much noise. Two different presents, one past, one future. I don't know what's going to happen next. However, I've got a damn good idea. Well done, lads, he said, standing up. You finish trapping us inside, and I'll go and tell the old man what's happening. He heard the puzzled muttering behind him as he climbed the stairs. Captain Tilden was sitting at his desk, staring at the wall. Vimes coughed loudly and saluted. "'Add a bit of—' he began, and Tilden turned his ashen face to him. He looked as though he had seen a ghost, and it had been in the mirror. "'You heard the news, too?' "'Sir?' "'The riot up at Dolly Sisters,' said Tilden. "'It was only a couple of hours ago.' "'I'm too close,' Vimes thought as the words sank in. "'All those things were just names. It all seemed to happen at once. "'Dolly Sisters, yeah. They were a right mob of hotheads up there.' "'The lieutenant of the Daywatch called in one of the regiments,' said Tilden, "'which he was duly authorised to do, of course.' "'Which one?' said Vimes, for the look of the thing. "'The name was in the history books, after all. "'Lord Venturi's medium dragoon sergeant, my old regiment.' "'That's right,' thought Vimes. "'And cavalry are highly trained at civilian crowd control. "'Everyone knows that. "'And uh, there were some uh, uh, accidental deaths.' "'Vimes felt sorry for the man.' 
In truth, it was never proved that anyone was given an order to ride people down. But did it matter? Horses pushing and people unable to get away because of the press of people behind them? It was too easy for small children to lose grip of a hand. But, in fairness, missiles were thrown at the officers and one soldier was badly injured, said Tilden, as if reading the words off a card. That's all right, then, Vimes thought. What kind of missiles, sir? Uh, fruit, I gather. Although there may have been some stones as well. Vimes realised that Tilden's hand was shaking. The riot was over the price of bread, I understand. No. The protest was over the price of bread, said Vimes' inner voice. The riot was what happens when you have panicking people trapped between idiots on horseback and other idiots shouting, yeah, right, and trying to push forward, and the whole thing in the charge of a fool advised by a maniac with a steel rule. The feeling of the palace, said Tilden slowly, is that revolutionary elements may attack the watchhouses. Really, sir? Why? It's the sort of thing they do, said Tilden. As a matter of fact, sir, the men are putting up shutters and... Uh, "'Do whatever you feel necessary, Sergeant,' said Tilden, waving a hand with a scrawled letter in it. "'We are told we must be mindful of the curfew regulations. That has been underlined.' Vimes paused before answering. He'd bitten back the first answer. He contented himself with, "'Very well, sir,' and left. The man wasn't a bad man, he knew. He must have been badly affected by the news to give such a stupid, dangerous order.' Do what you feel necessary. Give an order like that to a man who's liable to panic when he sees a bunch of people waving their fists and you get the Dolly Sisters massacre. He walked back down the stairs. The squad was standing around looking nervous. Prisoner in the cells, said Vimes. Corporal Colon nodded. Yes, sir, Sarge. Stoutly says that up at Dolly Sisters, I know. Now here's what I feel is necessary. Take the shutters down, unbar the door, leave it open and light all the lamps. Why isn't the blue lamp over the door lit? Do no, Sarge. But what if... Get it lit, Corporal. And then you and Waddy go and stand guard outside where you can be seen. Your friendly-looking local lads. Take your bells, but I want to make this very clear. No swords, right? No swords? Colon burst out. But what if a bloody great mob comes round the corner and I'm not armed? Vimes reached him in two swift strides and stood nose to nose. And if you have got a sword, what will you do, eh? Against a bloody great mob? What do you want them to see? Now, what I want them to see is Fatty Colon, decent lad, not too bright, I knew his dad. And there's old Waddy drinks in my pub. Because if they just see a couple of men in uniform with swords, you'll be in trouble. And if you draw those swords, you'll be in real trouble. And if, by any chance, Corporal, you draw swords tonight without my order and survive, then you'll wish you hadn't done either, because you'll have to face me, see? And then you'll know what trouble is, because everything up until then will look like a bleeding day at the sodding seaside, understand? Fred Colon goggled at him. There was no other word for it. Don't let my sugary sweet tones lead you to believe that I'm not damn well giving you orders, said Vimes, turning away. Vimes? Yes, Sarge, said young Sam. Have we got a saw in this place? Snouty stepped forward. I've got a toolbox, Sarge. Nails too? Yes, sir. Right. Rip the door off my locker and hammer a lot of nails right through it, will you? Then lay it down on the upstairs landing. I'll take the saw, because I'm going to the privy. After the silence that followed, Corporal Colon obviously felt he had to make a contribution. He cleared his throat and said, If you've got a problem in that area, Sarge, Mrs Colon's got a wonderful medicine she... I won't be long, said Vimes. In fact, he was four minutes. All done, he said. 
returning to the sound of hammering from the locker room. Come with me, Lance Constable. Time for a lesson in interrogation. Oh, and bring the toolbox. Fred and Waddy don't like being outside, said Sam, as they went down the stone steps. They say, what if that bunch of unmentionables turn up? They needn't worry. Our friends at Cable Street are not front door kind of people. He pushed open the door to the cells. The prisoner stood up and grabbed the bars. OK, they've come, now you let me out, he said. Come on, I'll put in a good word for you. No one's come for you, sir, said Vimes. He locked the main door behind him and then unlocked the cell. It's probably been a busy time for them, he added. Been a bit of a riot over in Dolly Sisters, a few deaths. Might be a while before they get round to you. The man eyed the toolbox that the Lance Constable was holding. It was only a flicker, but Vimes saw the moment of uncertainty. I get it, he said. Good cop, bad cop, eh? If you like, said Vimes. But we're a bit short-staffed, so if I give you a cigarette, would you mind kicking yourself in the teeth? Look, this is a game, right, said the prisoner. You know I'm one of the particulars, and you're new in town and want to impress us. Well, you have. Big laugh all round, ha ha. Anyway, I was only on stakeout. Yeah, but that's not how it works, is it? said Vimes. Now we've got you, we can decide what you're guilty of. You know how it's done. Fancy a ginger beer? The man's face froze. You know, said Vimes, it turns out that after the riot this evening we've been warned to expect revolutionary attacks on the watchhouses. Now, personally, I wouldn't expect that. What I'd expect is a bunch of ordinary people turning up, you know, because they'd heard what's happened. But, and you can call me Mr Suspicious if you like, I've got a feeling that there will be something a bit worse. You see, apparently we've got to be mindful of the curfew regulations. What that means, I suppose, is that if we get people coming to complain about unarmed citizens being attacked by soldiers, which personally I would consider to be assault with a deadly weapon, we've got to arrest them. I find that rather... There was a commotion from above. Vimes nodded to young Sam, who disappeared up the stairs. Now that my impressionable assistant has gone, said Vimes quietly, I'll add, if any of my men get hurt tonight, then I'll see to it that for the rest of your life you scream at the sight of a bottle. I haven't done anything to you. You don't even know me. Yeah. Like I said, we're doing it your way, said Vimes. Sam reappeared in a hurry. Someone's fallen in the privy, he announced. They were climbing on the roof and it gave way. It must be one of those revolutionary elements, said Vimes, watching the prisoner's face. We've been warned about them. He says he's from Cable Street, Sarge. That's just the kind of thing I'd say if I was a revolutionary element, said Vimes. All right, let's take a look at him. Upstairs, the front door was still open. There were a few people outside just visible in the lamplight. There was also Sergeant Nock inside, and he was not happy. Who said we opened up like this? he was saying. It looks nasty out in those streets, very dangerous. I said we stay open, said Vimes, coming up the stairs. Is there a problem, Sergeant? Well, look, Sarge, I heard on the way over they're throwing stones at the Dimwell Street house, said Nock, deflating. There's people in the streets, mobs. I hate to think what's happening downtown. So? We're coppers. We should be getting prepared. What? To bar the doors and listen to the stones rattle off the roof, said Vimes. Or maybe we should go out and arrest everyone. Any volunteers? No? I'll tell you what, Sergeant. If you want to do some coppering, you can go and arrest the man in the privy. 
Do him for breaking and entering. There was a scream from upstairs. Vimes glanced up. And I reckon if you go up onto the attic landing, you'll find there's a man who's dropped through the skylight right onto a door full of nails that was accidentally left there, he went on. He looked at Knox's puzzled face. It's the Cable Street boys, Sergeant, he said. They thought they could come across the roofs and scare the dumb brown jobs. Chuck them both in the cells. You're arresting unmentionables. No uniform, no badge, carrying weapons. Let's have a bit of law round here, shall we, said Vimes. Snoutley, where's that cocoa? We'll all get into trouble, Knock shouted. Vimes let Knock wait until he'd lit a cigar. We're in trouble anyway, Winsborough, he said, shaking out the match. It's just a case of deciding what kind we want. Thanks, Snoutley. He took the mug of cocoa from the jailer and nodded at Sam. Let's take a stroll outside, he said. He was aware of the sudden silence in the room, except for the whimpering coming from upstairs and the distant yelling from the privy. "'What are you all standing around for, gentlemen?' he said. "'Want to ring your bells? Anyone fancy shouting out that all's well?' With those words hanging in the room all big and pink, Vimes stepped out into the evening air. End of CD 5